Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Now, I don't have much to talk about, right. which is not, it's, the, it's deceptive. Yes. Because I saw a lot of movies over the last week, but our, our main uh, episode, our canon episode, our numbered episode this, mm-hmm. this week is, um, uh, is, is going to be about the LA Film Fest, which is where I saw all of those movies. Um, so I only have one movie to talk about this week. You've got a few more, so why don't you kick things off? All right. So uh, the first film I saw is directed by uh, Marie Noel, and it is uh, a new biopic about uh, Marie Curie, and it is called Marie Curie. And um, I saw it as a function of the real talk uh, film series uh, hosted by Stephen Farber and uh, interned by me, and so it was. It was a fun experience. I wish the film had been better. It's not bad. It's interesting. Um, and for those that don't know, Marie Curie uh, is the first woman to ever win two uh, Nobel prizes. Uh, she essentially. It's hard to know. I I wouldn't say she. I guess she kind of discovered the concept of radiation, yeah. um, and, and then died from it. Right, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. So, and the film kind of hints at that, but it's it's about a very specific time in her life where she's already won one award. Um, so she's between awards. She's between awards at the moment, you know, as we all are, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, you won that Best Actor <laughs> in the State of Missouri in 1999 or whatever that was. 2000. 2000, sorry. Uh, still this millennium. Um, <laughs> well, it depends on when you start counting. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so, and then her, her husband, who she actually worked with a great deal and was perfectly fine with her getting a fair amount of the glory, um, he passed, he dies unexpectedly. And so she suddenly realizes that she is actually, despite her contributions within the scientific community, she is still kind of looked down upon for being a woman. And everybody just sort of assumes everybody's willing to sort of humor her when her husband was around, but now that her husband's gone, everybody just assumes that he's the one that did the, the lion's share of the work. Okay. That's, she's like Courtney love. Everyone's like, Oh, Kurt Cobain wrote the songs and lived through this. And then he dies. And then they, she puts out celebrity skin. Everyone's like, you know, Billy Corgan really wrote all the songs. Anyway, bullshit. Courtney loves a songwriter. I'd say I like, that's, I like that's the, about the music. right. And she's in between awards. She won that first Nobel Prize. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, so. But then then the Marie Curie gets actually involved in a in uh, an affair with a, a married man who is also a scientist, and and this is all true, and and that caused a scandal, and so it's it's very interesting. Um, I would have liked, and I'll say this: it's, it's shot beautifully. It's it's got a great score. And the performances are all very good, but it feels really hollow, um, hmm. as tends to happen with biopics. I mean, yeah, I think I've come to realize that when somebody makes a biopic, at least when I'm watching it, it is a they, it is a fine. They have to like walk a tightrope because if they go too broad, um, or they try to overexplain, or as as you know, one of my big pet peeves is if they make the character out to be too warts instead of the all um (laughs) then that bothers me but at the same time and so i like a certain degree of specificity but i but i also don't like when they when the filmmaker is content to step to stand outside of uh 
outside of the subject and not really give any idea of why they're doing the things they're doing. Um, I feel like... I feel like uh, with that movie Experimenter, I'm okay with that film being a little bit cold because the nature of the person is a little yeah. bit cold. That's um, why I liked, um, I can't remember if you ever saw it. I ended up going to the theater to see it twice. Get On Up, the James Brown uh, I did not. movie. Because I liked that it, uh, A, it went all out of chronolo- chronological order, which is you know always good for keeping you, keeping you on your toes. Yeah. But also it took on the point of view of, here's James Brown life, James Brown's life as if James Brown is telling it to you. And yeah. so there's some of the like lionizing and hagiography type of stuff is like tongue in cheek yeah. in a way. And so it, the movie trusts you to, to see through it. I really like that movie. The other biopic I like, the other way you can go with this is to pretend to make a biopic and not actually make, make a biopic at all, which is why I like public enemies so much. Sure, it's not sure. actually about Don, John Dillinger at all. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of like a mood piece. Yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> and maybe that's one of the things that bothers me about it. But, um, but yeah. And so I think, Marie Curie, who, who was herself a scientist. So, okay, I could see a certain degree of emotional distance, but she is a very emotional person and she's very passionate and invested with this love affair that she's having. But I, I don't really know what makes her tick and the film doesn't seem remarkably interested. Instead, it's, it's, I I hate to put it this way. It's like a really beautiful, well-acted Wikipedia entry. Um, and that's not remarkably mm-hmm. I think by and large I still like the movie but I feel like it could have been a lot more than what it was I'm with you I'm, I'm immediately skeptical of biopics I have yeah. to say uh, yeah depending I mean, I, unless unless it's being made by by someone or if it's someone like I'm uh, cautiously optimistic about the Tanya Harding movie with Margot Robbie playing Tanya Harding just because sure. I find Tanya Harding so fascinating. Yes. But I know I'm going to walk out of there being pissed like they didn't make the movie, the Tanya Harding story that I want. Yeah, I think I think you, you hit on something, which is if you, and I guess I said it with Experimenter, like as long as they're, a good way to, I think, make one is to try to adopt the mindset of the person that you're making the film of, uh, uh, whose, or whose story you're telling. Um, with a couple of exceptions, I would say that Truman Capote is very different than the tone of the film Capote, but I think it does a good enough job of exploring him and his motivations uh, that I'm okay with it. Plus, you're in, in online speak. You're a, you're a real Bennett Miller stan. Right, I guess so, but I'm not a huge fan of Foxcatcher. Oh, that's right. I think you like it more than I, I do. I think that's probably the only one that I like, um, really, of his movies. Yeah, I like that, and and I like Moneyball, and it's tough because even I'm not a hundred percent sure what I mean when I say that uh, that that the fil- that I the films are more interested in being about someone than actually mm-hmm. showing us who they are, mm-hmm. and it's just and it's a it's a fine line, but when you do it well. Uh, it can be really amazing, and the person wind, and the viewer winds up being really, really excited about who this person was, one way or another. So, okay, uh, I think you're up next again. Yes. So I saw Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. Oh yeah, um, yeah. When's that review it? going up? No, I've I've missed so many chances. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? When the, did I say I would review it for BP as well? Oh God, I'm going to like, this is an off mic conversation because I, we had this conversation. We had this conversation so hard. <laughs> I'm sorry. And we've had it multiple times in the past with other movies too. Okay. Yes. You said you would. Oh, I'm sorry. Both okay. I'm sorry about that. It's been on MCOL for a couple of days. Um, 
but uh, what am I supposed to do? Like we have a shared calendar. You don't use it. No, I, I, you, I've been you, using it more lately. You and read, I looked. You read either every third email I sent you or a third of every email I sent you. I can't. I send you. I can't figure out which one it is. <laughs> um, I don't. I'd know say how, both. But we works. have a conversation. How am I? How am I supposed to make sure it sticks? I don't know. <laughs> uh, do you want me to? Maybe I should just do that. Is just sort of be like, all right. Uh, if I'm unsure, maybe email you yeah. rather or than like, I, like I won't post it automatically. Cause maybe there is another one going up. Um, look, I'm on text message. You could text me. <laughs> You're on text. Me- do people say that? No. Okay. Maybe parents do. I think that's what I, I, was, trying that. to, I yeah. was trying to be old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm available via text. Uh, sure. Sure. Um, unless I'm in a movie cause my phone's off. Off completely. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I'm Better a- safe than sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a, uh, what's the word? I'm a purist like that, a classicalist. Have you read multiple articles recently? We got to get back on topic in a second. Um, about how within text messaging, the use of the period is being phased out and should not be used because the line break when you hit send serves the, and so now to younger people, if you use a period, it's for a purpose that's kind of passive aggressive. It's kind of like saying, I'm angry, I'm telling you this, and I'm done. Wow. And so, like, a period, like, you should stop using periods in text messages, or at least, especially if you're texting with younger people, because they'll think you're mad at them. Boy, do I have a solution <laughs> to that. I am not going to text young people. Um, yeah. I was going through my text messages. I use periods, like, constantly. Oh, yeah, me I too. always finish the sentence. I, I don't always do it, but what I will say is that, uh, I've known some people like friend of the show, Jason Aiken, who they do not like, like if I have eight sentences to say, he does not like them to be separate things. He wants basically one big paragraph sent all at once. That's how I'd prefer it to. Yeah. And so obviously in that instance, you need periods, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, I don't think they're ever going to be phased out as long as, uh, curmudgeons yeah. like us are like, no, 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 just send me all one paragraph. Yeah, exactly. Cause I'm, I'm imagining you sending me eight sentences separately and it coming through while I'm in a meeting and I can't check my phone and I'm just getting like, like yeah. eight times. And I'm like, excuse me. Like I had to say to like my superior, like, excuse yeah. me, I'm afraid my wife might be in the hospital right. or something. Right. And I step out and you're just trying to figure out when your beguiled review is supposed to go up. <laughs> Yeah, when is that supposed to go up, Dave? Um, All right. Thankfully, we're recording this before Friday. Um, it is a very... Oh, we haven't talked about the beguiled yet. No, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is uh, marvelous. I do love oh, it. Good. Um, I think it's a really, really effective film. I think it is... I mean, I think all of her movies are... Uh, visually beautiful. Um, and I think this one is, is no different. And it, once again, like a lot of her other films, there's a very quiet meditative mood. But what I like about it is that, uh, so you know, the story, right? It's uh, this girl's school during the civil war. And then this wounded union soldier is, is taken in by them. And, starts to and some of them kind of fall in love with him and he seems to fall in love with some of them and nobody's really sure what to do and it's just really interesting to look at the dynamics of these characters once this new thing is brought in and i think everybody is acting beautifully um 
each of them bringing a different, I think each of them understands who their characters are, but also what they represent. Um, and you know, you have Nicole Kidman who she's the the, the headmistress and, and, um, she's, I believe that, uh, her husband or, or whatever, uh, has passed away before this and she's clearly very lonely, but she also is very prim and proper. And then, uh, Kirsten Dunst is a woman, a younger woman who is getting older now and has never, and does not have anybody romantically and is probably feeling a specific type of lonely where there's a bit of desperation in that, this idea of like, well, what if I'm ne- what if I never find somebody? And then, of the students, the the most notable one is is Elle Fanning, who reminded me a lot of the 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 teenage daughter, uh, not daughter, but the teenage girl in uh, Night of the Hunter, who is in this mm. place of like sexual transition and is trying to figure out what to do about that. And now here's this man, and so all three of these women have a bit of their identity tied up in this guy, and. It'd be easy to say that he manipulates them, but it's more just he has been to war and does not care for it and would like to not go back. And so he winds, he's willing to be everything to everybody Mm. if it means he can stay. And so, and that's just from a character standpoint, but the tone and the way it's shot feels, you know, it's Southern, it's Southern Gothic and it it feels almost like a haunted house movie just as, as the, mm. the deliberateness of tone, um, the music by Phoenix, which I think is, does not really stand out, uh, considering that it's a, you know, civil war film. Um, and it really is just this wonderful little tonal piece. I how did you just describe public enemies? I forget. Uh, a mood piece. It's not unlike that. Yeah. Um, and it just, and everything, in my review, I said that it's hard to even know what to talk about first, because if you talk about that thing, it sort of implies that that is the thing that is the most important thing. But story, character, theme, visual, like everything is happening at the exact same time and nothing is more important than anything else. Everything is feeding into itself. And it is just a uh, and maybe I'm overselling and I could see people not really caring for it. I do think that if you like Sofia Coppola, you'll probably like it more, uh, than most people. But, um, and I do. So, um, Mm. yeah, I really liked it. I think you would like it a lot. And, uh, yeah, I, I think for our listeners, I, I think most of you would like it as well. Um, you reminded me of more reasons to keep talking about public enemies. The thing about Phoenix that I like, I'm a big fan of, modern music in period like non-diegetic like score in period pieces because i like feel like why are we pretending the movie is made the year it came out and that's kind of how because i think one of the biggest complaints about public enemies is how clearly digital it looks yeah and that's never been a problem to me because i know the movie was made in 2009 i'm not i'm not kidding myself that it was made in 1933 or whatever you know um and so uh i've always um responded very well to the honesty i guess of using modern music in a a period piece yeah i mean you know michael mann has been shooting digital for a while now Mm -hmm. and nobody complained about that with collateral um, yeah, even though, well, I mean, I feel like they did actually if I remember from film school. Did they? Um, because I think there was a time, I think we've gotten to a place now where digital cameras have come closer to looking like sure. film. I mean, if you talk to purists, obviously, no, there's a, it, it doesn't look like it, but it's 
come closer to, to sort of mimicking that. Um, whereas at, in that, at that time when, when did collateral come out? Oh, four, four. Yeah. Uh, my last year in Chicago. Uh, no, that's not true. I was there for most of 2005. Anyway, not important. Um, uh, the camera still looked like you could tell that it right. was digital. You know, the, the sort of like, uh, I think the big thing with collateral is that it takes place at night and, and none of it ever seems to be perfectly black. It's not that know? inky darkness it, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And I think some people have a problem with that, which were, which I don't like. That's the, yeah. that's what the apparatus is <laughs> giving you, uh, you know, yeah. deal with it. It's not a flaw for the movie to be, to look like it was shot on the thing that it, that it was shot on. You know, it's something that I was talking about with a friend recently. And oddly enough, I was talking about it in regards to the beguile, because there are a lot of people that are put off by the fact that there was in the original story, there is a, an African American character, uh, that, Sophia Coppola chose to cut out and a lot of people had a problem with that. And I did. And the thought that I had was it would be very interesting. Uh, and I don't remember the the specifics. I don't know if this was a slave, uh, but it would be interesting to see racial dynamics in uh, on top of everything else. But I think that Sophia Coppola was interested in, male female specifically and so opted to remove this character because another thing that is specific Which is to, not to say that a black woman isn't a woman no of course not <laughs> right. but, but i think that but be, it being the right. civil no, I, war I, I know what you're saying it brings in this other stuff as well sometimes you say things that i completely understand what you mean right and then i get in the head of like yeah. our sjw listeners and i'm like what are they going to scream at Tyler? Let I'm, me go ahead and cut that off at the back. I'm, I'm curious to know if there are any <laughs> listeners that are more SJW than you. Oh, I'm certain. There. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, yes, of course I didn't mean it that way, but I did mean that, uh, that, uh, one of the elements about the film is how specifically cut off this girl's school, which is essentially just in this giant mansion behind this wall with a gate that is locked all the time, just how removed it is from the rest of the world. In many ways, Mm -hmm. it reminds me, maybe on purpose, of the French plantation scene uh, or sequence from the Apocalypse Now Redux. Yeah. And... God, I love that. I gotta watch that again. I know. I haven't seen it in years. But, um, and so... While, while undoubtedly, if that character was there, it would be interesting and it would add a layer. But I do think I understand why Sofia Coppola would remove it. But a lot of other people were very just angry on principle. And, and I found myself thinking that, and I've also been having some arguments with Christians about the inclusion of certain content in movies. And I think a big thing for me is, well... I understand a certain degree of frustration that something is or is not included, but the, but the next question, in fact, the first, there's that reaction, but the first question should be, okay, well, why, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you can, and I, and my guess is when you start really thinking about why that might actually lessen your initial negative reaction, you know, to, and the reason I bring it up is because, you know, we can spend our time. I'll say this, the, the digital element of public enemies through me, but then you just get used to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the question then is you can either spend all your time getting mad that he did it, or you can say, well, it's Michael Mann. He doesn't do things flippantly. So the question then is why, why did he choose to shoot the, shoot the film this way? Now, if maybe you can't come up with a reason and maybe you 
feel like that is that means there wasn't a reason and then maybe you can get angry all over again but my guess is once you start asking why that is and i'd say maybe it's a good rule for life uh once some if somebody else is doing something that you don't like ask why and you immediately start to you're trying to empathize with them in that moment yeah uh I, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know what to say specifically about the beguiled, but I feel like there's two lines of complaint here. Sure. The one is because the, the novel it's based on is fictional, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. So the one is, this isn't the novel. It's not in the movie. That, that argument carries no water with me. No, I don't care what's in the novel. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can change it as much as you want. The other argument is it's uh, to me would be that it's, easier it's more convenient for sophia coppola to ignore sure one part of this time and place to tell the story that she wants that seems to have more meat to it but i can't address it obviously until i see the movie right and and it, it certainly i think would be easier but i think it would also just be more in line with what she's just trying to explore thematically um now maybe an argument could be made that she could still explore those things with this character included um Mm -hmm. and maybe even add a layer of complexity to it um what's interesting is that in the credits it says based on the novel but then it also says based on the screenplay of the 1971 film oh interesting which made me want to see that because it's it's clint eastwood in the colin farrell role right and Knowing, it's directed by Don Siegel, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so knowing what I know about that character, I'm fascinated to see Clint Eastwood play it. Um, but yeah. anyway, my, where, you know, I, uh, I'm, uh, uh, standing from a position of privilege and all that, but my opinion on these sorts of controversies in the large, uh, in the long view mm-hmm. is that the thing I think we need to focus on is getting more women and people of color into producer and director and screenwriter roles, sure. getting more stuff made by them. And then this sort of thing will be less of an issue. You know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So. Absolutely. Like, if we had a proportionate amount of stories being told in movies by yeah. black women, then the fact that there's not a black woman in this white woman's yeah. movie would be less of an issue. Even if honestly, even if, those black women chose not to make movies about other black women. Like it's just, you know, that's, that's all, that's all I want is for the voices to be represented in the same proportion that they are in our country. Yeah. And that's what I am fighting for. And in the meantime, like, the Beguiled is a very good, well-done movie, and yes, I recognize that she is a Coppola, so I feel like we can take less joy in the fact that, hey, a female director, because um, <laughs> sure. I felt like it's she's she less a female to... director and more a Coppola. You yeah, know? she didn't have to scrap as hard, I imagine. Right, but um, she still puts out good and distinct movies from what we're used to seeing, and mm-hmm. that is that can be a thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a tale, you know, I'd be interested in watching Don Siegel's film and then watching this and seeing like, well, one is done by a male director an exceedingly male director. Uh, and then the other is done by a female director. And ha- what impact does that have on point of view? Um, and just general tone, because I definitely feel like this film is the, the women's film, like the, the, the female characters mm. film. Whereas I could definitely see the Don Siegel film seen seen more as from, Eastwood's point of view. So anyway, okay, we can, we can move on. What is the film that you saw that was not at this film festival? Yeah, it's a, it's a rewatch. I'm continuing from our, uh, our, our last movie journal, um, watching the, um, 
World War II documentary shorts that are on Netflix. So last week, remember I, I watched um, uh, the Memphis Bell. Sorry, the Memphis Bell and how to operate behind enemy lines. Mm-hmm. So this week, I watched Prelude Prelude to War, which is one of the Frank Capra ones. Okay. Um, uh, and that, this is the one that I had seen before in a. Uh, in a class i took a class on war propaganda in film school i'm still envious uh, that, uh, that you took that class i, I know wish, and it was from I our had. favorite teacher ron falzone was he my was he my favorite teacher no, i well, did like was, him. i liked him our favorite together sure sure yeah you have yeah. favorite <laughs> teachers that i didn't have right but our shared favorite is ron falzone indeed um and yeah so i took this great uh war propaganda class with him we watched the two we watched uh, uh from this time where we watched prelude, prelude to war and we watched uh, the Battle of San Pietro, which is mm-hmm. a John Houston one that I don't think is on Netflix uh, right now. It might be. Oh, I think it is, but oh, maybe it is. it's not anymore. Okay, because the other the, the other John Houston one, what is it? Uh, Let there be light. Mm-hmm. That's that I, that one I know is on Netflix. We, yeah, maybe the Battle of San Pietro is too. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, Prelude to, of the three that I've watched so far, Prelude to War is the one that is the most clearly propaganda. Like it's it's it was meant to be shown it was eventually shown to uh the public and didn't actually do that well yeah. but it was made for the army specifically to show them here's literally why we, it was the prelude to war is the first of a seven-part series that frank capper made called why we fight yeah uh and prelude to war is still the only one i've seen um and it's the most clearly like uh telling you you know here's the values that you should be upholding and here's the reasons that you should be you know, uh, eager to go fight. Yeah. Um, but what I'll talk about is because I'll go all the way back to our favorite teacher, Ron Felzoner, talk about what he talked about. Okay. Uh, which is the way he approached, uh, prelude to war is in the way that it differs from world war one propaganda because Hmm. a lot of the propaganda, um, you know, posters and stuff, uh, in America for world war one gave the impression of like, we're fighting Germans because Germans are bad. Right. Um, and that led to a sort of general hatred of Germans, um, which led to maybe them being overly punished in the, right. you know, after the war, which led to their depression, which led to the rise of, uh, the Nazi party. Uh, and so they kind of, you know, didn't want to make the same mistake twice. And so the, 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 the thrust here is, the leaders of these nations, uh, Germany, Italy, and Japan are awful and they're doing awful things. They're enslaving their people. They're right. lying to their people. They're brutalizing their people. Um, and I found that very interesting to, to go in with that thought. It, it goes a little too far, I think to the point where it kind of becomes condescending hmm. a little bit, especially when it comes to the Japanese where it's like, yeah, these backwards Japanese don't know any better. <laughs> like they yeah. think their emperor is a God. Like it's a little, <laughs> Uh, it's a little condescending, um, but it is, it is interesting. And it was like, it's amazing how like some propaganda that we watch now is corny. And some of the, obviously some of the Nazi propaganda is just galling, you know, the stuff they were putting out about, about the Jews, but some stuff works. And Mm -hmm. like, I was watching this movie last, just last night and I had kept going. I like in my head, I was like, those motherfuckers. <laughs> I was like, Oh wait, this is how it's <laughs> like, it really were. It, it, it really holds up as, 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 as propaganda. Um, uh, and I guess that's why you get, uh, a Frank Capra to make your propaganda. Well, and, and I would be interested once you are, once you're done watching these, if you were to watch, um, five came back, uh, you okay. know, it does give some background and, you know, 
Frank Capra, like the other directors were also very excited, but he's the one that really spearheaded this and kind of voluntarily. So it does make sense that the most propaganda one would be from him who felt yeah. like this was his duty to make these films. Cause like that's when you think about it, like, well, this is the only contribution I can make as a film director. I'm not going to, you know, go into battle. I'm not going to have a gun in my hand. So what can I do? And it's, oh, I can inspire the people with guns yeah. in their hands. So it kind of made me want to, and very much not want to watch triumph of the will again, which is another thing I watched in that class. I've never seen that film actually, but it's interesting how, you know, that was over 10 years ago and it felt like a culture, like an historical artifact at the time. And now that like, there's been a resurgence of white supremacy in this country. It's weird to think that like, yeah, this kind of propaganda might still have, uh, some still gain some some traction. So maybe I don't want to watch yeah. it again. There might maybe be, I'll watch Olympiad because I never actually saw. That's the other Lenny right. Stall one, which we we saw clips from in that class, but I never actually saw right. the whole thing. It's odd to think, and maybe odd isn't the word. Maybe evil is the word. But that there there are people in this great country of ours that are on a Friday night saying like, "Hey, you want to watch Triumph of the Will again?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling kind of down. You want to yeah. watch Triumph of the Will? Yeah, there you go. Oh boy. Um, okay, um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's been and there's been a lot of uh, because you know Donald Trump has you know is an authoritarian and and likes to hold rallies and stuff. There's been a lot of comparisons to, between him and and Adolf Hitler, and there are some similarities in the rise of uh, of the two. But um, watching just footage. Donald Trump is way more Mussolini. Oh, no question. <laughs> than, than no Hitler. question about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's almost, if it, you know, if it were funny, it'd be funny, but it's not funny, but it's almost funny to see him like his, like such clearly like put upon fake, like macho swagger. Yeah. And like, that's so Donald Trump. Yeah. It's uh it was a big thing that happened amongst, uh, conservatives during the, uh, the primary is, the, those of us that didn't like him, like I just kept seeing images of the two of them next to each other. It's like, is this the guy we want representing us? <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, yes, was the answer. Um, and uh, you know what? I'll uh, I'll leave it there and not talk about uh, how things ended. Okay. So um, okay. Next up for me is Matt Reeves' War for the Planet of the Apes, which I now realize I might not be allowed to talk about, but I think it's probably fine, right? <laughs> Who cares? How about you start talking, Okay, and I'm going to look up the email. Yes, you do that. And then I might cut you off, and we'll have to okay. edit this out. Well, I'll, sp- I'll state the facts. That's what I'll do. <laughs> um, so it's about these apes, uh, and there's this whole planet of them. Uh Um, but there's people too, and the people want to fight them. Uh, what I can say, and frankly, it's, it's something that I said about Dawn of the planet of the apes is that, and I'm not one to really comment on special effects. Um, sidebar, would you say you're somebody that in reviews ever comments on like the quality of special effects? Uh, you can't talk about this movie. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll leave that question out then. Uh, we'll, we'll, we can keep talking about that question though. Okay. Um, y- yeah. Um, do I talk about the quality of special effects? Yeah. Like these days? N- no, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not really interested. It's sort of the, the thing like, uh, uh, like a, um, like we'll be talking about in, a, in an upcoming episode, if a plot point doesn't make sense, if the movie is good, then I don't care. Right. And, uh, that's kind of how I feel about like, I don't think I've ever been taken out of a movie that I was liking because the CG was bad, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And I think 
I think it's it's not a thing I really notice or think about, and I, it might also be a thing I just take for granted that well, yeah, they can do anything. They they can do anything with computers these days, David. Um, right, and so I don't really think about it. But when it comes to, I'll go ahead and say that uh, say these apes movies. Uh-huh. It's astonishing. I yeah, mean, I, well, they look a hundred percent tangible. I remember thinking that I haven't seen any of the apes movies, but, um, the Tarzan movie last year thinking, sure, like, because there's a big ape centric part at the beginning. Sure. Uh, and then again later. Um, and yeah, it is pretty astounding what they can do. And I just think of <laughs> wonderful what we could do nowadays. What's that from? Well, that's what the listeners, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I like that's, that's one of my favorite games is, yeah. can you guess what that's from? Imagine it in a British accent that I can't do. Oh, um, I think I got it. Okay. Um, so like, I remember back when they made monsters Inc and they were talking all about how, how big of a deal it was for Sully's hair mm-hmm. to be, to basically behave like actual hair. Well now, I mean, it's, not an issue at all. And I mean, again, like to me, CG, I can usually tell when it's CG even, and even if I don't, but I don't usually care and it doesn't even really occur to me, but when something really feels like I could touch it Mm -hmm. and it would feel like that texture, that's usually when I take special note. And so that's, that's one of the big things that I, that I took away from Hmm. the most recent film, but I also took it away from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes as well. So I'll talk more about war next week. Okay. Um, I'll talk, I haven't seen it. So I'll talk about as someone who hasn't seen any of these movies, Mm -hmm. seeing a trailer or even just a still of these movies always makes me laugh. Like, cause I'm not invested in it. It just looks so stupid that there's like, Oh sure. <laughs> like there is a, there is a like advanced look, I guess, or whatever they call first look in, in entertainment weekly that was like Woody Harrelson and this gorilla. And they're both like trying to look like badasses. And it's, yeah. this is so stupid. <laughs> yeah. When you really think about it, it's, it's, and in some cases, maybe the more real the apes look, the dumber it is. Yeah. Um, it's just like, what is this? Dunstan checks in or, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, what's the one? Ed, is that the one with Matthew, uh, with, uh, Matt LeBlanc and Ed is like a baseball playing monkey That's or right. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, so there's monkey trouble, monkey trouble the one with, uh, young Thora Birch. Is That's that right? right. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like there was another one. Well, of course, of course, there's like the Any Which Way But Loose, you know, the old yeah. Clint Eastwood. There's one uh, with Renee Russo. Oh, that's Buddy. Buddy, that's right. That's a... It's th- about a crazy woman, essentially, right? It's we- Like, it's it's weird that Buddy, to me, hasn't been rediscovered as like a midnight, like, let's mm. go watch this crazy movie. Not that it's good. It's just... The movie is nuts. Yeah. I'm going to, I hate this word because it gets overused, but if, if, if film Twitter rediscovered buddy, you'd, you'd be seeing the word bonkers a lot, which is the word that I, I hate because everyone says it all the time now. Boy, you really are more plugged into film Twitter than I am. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Any, t- I mean, uh, you've seen, you haven't seen tweets about book of Henry. Everyone's like, this no, movie is so bonkers. Oh, or just like not even it's not even like so bonkers. The word bonkers has been used so much that now it's just like a casual like the bonkers new movie by Colin Trevorrow, uh, as I will always remember. Of course, um, I'm sick of the word bonkers. God, I hate it. Wow. Um, and this is like the first I'm hearing of it in this context. Uh, I, I envy you. Um, 
but yeah, I, I would like film Twitter to rediscover Buddy, and I'd like to go see it at midnight at the New Art because uh, <laughs> it's a, it is a strange movie. All right, let's keep that in mind. All right, uh, what's the last thing you saw? Hopefully, you can actually talk about this one. Yes, uh, it is a, a a documentary called Why Horror? Question mark. And you know, it's it. I started doing a photo editing again, so this seemed like the kind of movie that I could throw on pretty casually it's it's kind of a standard uh movie with a standard documentary with like a bunch of talking heads now thanks and it's all about like what horror is and what it has been and thankfully it's it's pretty international uh, they talk to people from various countries and talk about what horror represents to them and they trace uh horror back to you know early early novelists and and that sort of thing and it's it's interesting. Um, it really is not breaking any new ground as far as these types of movies. Um, but it is interesting. Uh, but I, it did lead and it's worth watching. I'd say, um, it did lead me to, uh, I was reminded of something Paul F. Tompkins said, which then led me to a larger thing that I wanted to ask you, although you're not, you are, you are as much of a horror guy as I am, by which I mean there are people that are horror oh, sure, people, sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm not one of them. And so, uh, but I'll throw this out to you. So there's the, there's the, the bit that I love that uh, Paul F. Tompkins, who was on the show at one point, I forget that sometimes. Not me. You never forget? Never forget. Oh, boy. Um, in which he talks about, like, he goes, so I see horror movies, and he goes, because I think we all like to be scared. Uh-huh. And he's like, that's not true. That's just something dumb actors say when they're promoting their latest horror movie. Right. Uh, but I've always disagreed with him about that. I mean, I, look, it's a, right. it's a comedy bit. I'm not going to, like, <laughs> it's, it's fun. Sure, sure. And I'm not going to pick it apart. Yeah. But uh, that's why I like horror movies, because I like to be scared by them. Well, and I think, uh, I think there's definitely an element to that, but... Th- there are other things that are said by people in in this film uh, in which they say something that I have taken for granted for a long time in which they say, well, you know, horror it provides a kind of catharsis. You know, somebody can live out some kind of fantasy or explore some of the darker elements of, of their own humanity uh, in a safe environment and then they won't go and do it. Uh, and so that's something that I had just sort of assumed for a long time. But then I thought like, do I actually believe that? Like, or is this just something, is it something that like horror aficionados and directors, is it just something they say? Uh, I'm not saying that anyone should be ashamed of liking horror or making horror, but is, is this something they say to make it seem like they're doing something it seems like it's something that has come out of years of defending horror. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, but there might be people who do experience it that way and I'll sure, you know, I, I respect that to me. I think that's, it's overthinking it a bit. Right. To me, it's just like a fun thrill to get your adrenaline up and then sure. But then kind of know it's going to, it's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same reason, you know, I like going to the haunted houses at universal horror nights, yeah. you know, which I may, uh, yeah. Cause they're I doing a shining one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. If I were going to go again though, to Halloween, to universal horror, is it what is it? Halloween, Halloween horror, horror nights. nights. Yeah. Uh, I'd spring for the VIP tickets. Oh, to, because it's front of the, does uh, it go I front of the line? line and you also no. like get some free food with it too. Oh, that's, uh, they have like a VIP area. You get like a, that might be pretty good. Some, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing past hors d'oeuvres, but I don't know. It's probably just a buffet. <laughs> probably. Yes. Uh, 
but yeah, and so it just got me thinking about that, that this is a thing that that I've heard and that I've believed. And then I thought, yeah, but everything about it does seem like it came from a place of someone trying to justify seeing these movies to their parents, uh, (laughs) and kind of pontificating something that probably is not provable. Um, Yeah. I think that's, it's funny you say that because I think that's, very similar to the argument I used to give to my dad because he hated that I would, when, when we finally got the, the internet uh, in my high school years, um, he hated rotten.com. Oh, yeah. Which I can't, like, I can't imagine me now going on. Like, I avoid that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I was on Rotten every day and yeah. the Gaping Mall, which was their, like, editorial Ex- site. Explain to the listeners what this was because oh, they I might assume, not know. I, you know, you're right. I, I assume everyone remembers rotten.com. It was basically just like, autopsy pictures or pictures of people who had like gotten into very bad accidents. And yeah. like, I think there was one like that sticks with me. I think what had happened is a guy had fallen off his motorcycle and caught his jaw and it ripped his jaw. Yeah. off. You've seen the one I'm talking about. Oh yeah. So it's just a close up of a guy's face and he's fully awake and, uh, does not have a jaw, just skin hanging where his, from his upper, uh, oh. <laughs> cheeks or whatever. Um, and that's the kind of, yeah, I used to look at that stuff all the time. Um, yeah. And then they had like, so what was it? Celebrity death? Yes, they did. Celebrity morgue, celebrity morgue. What was it called? It was it, all pictures of dead celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I liked that stuff so much, but, but what, that was what that, did you tell your dad? That's the, the, essentially that like, like, you know, I'm, you know, y- y- you know, it's, uh, uh, it's given me a greater appreciation for life or for health or mm. for wellness or for the physical, you know, form. I don't think I would have said physical form when sure, I was sure. 17 or 18, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so it, it got me. Yeah. It got me thinking, and it made me wonder how many other things about art in general that I just kind of take for granted <laughs> that we all say and then wonder like, wait, hang on. Do I actually think this or have I just heard it so often that it just and it sounds good? Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll be thinking about it. I'll stay tuned, David. I'll think about I'll continue thinking about that. And uh, this summer, because I'm not going to be in school, but I'll, I'll keep trying to deconstruct things. I'll let you know if there are any other uh, art theories that I that I come up with. OK, that. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm not sure if I actually believe this. All right. Let's move on to TV. I have well, we have one shared one and then I have one other one. Is that right? True of you, too? Uh, yeah, although the one that I have is one that you've seen. Okay, but, why don't uh, you go first, then? So I watched the first three episodes of Twin Peaks. This uh, is Twin Peaks Season 3. Right, yeah, otherwise, otherwise known as Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah, this pisses me off that... Um, yeah, what is it actually called? Uh, I don't know, but IMDb has it listed as if it's a separate television program than yeah. the one in the 90s, which I don't like. Whereas AV Club is right within the recaps is rightly you know, categorizing it as season three. I can, I'll say this, that I can understand why someone would look at it as a separate entity, uh, not merely because it's so, so long after, but also it, it is tonally different, um, which I'm fine with. I I love it. Yeah. Most, well, I guess you're, you're three episodes in, right? It does get like, you've seen a couple things that are tonally from the past yeah. and you'll get a few more of them as you, as you right. go on and it becomes like almost jarring now to suddenly like to have this weird ass David Lynch stuff going on and then suddenly yeah. but it's all David Lynch stuff, but then suddenly have a scene in the double R that's just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, 
it's all very Lynchian. And, and I think it's been so long since I've seen something that is Lynchian that I think I forgot what it was like. And I got to say, I think I've grown into it. Oh, okay. Uh, I think if I were to rewatch Mul- I mean, I, I knew this already, but if I were to rewatch Mulholland drive now, I think I would really have an appreciation for it. Though I will say that in watching twin peaks, one thing, one thought that I came away with was like, fuck, I wish Mulholland drive had been a TV show. <laughs> like, um, yeah, but, uh, but I will say this, and it's a weird, I, I don't know why I had this reaction. Um, and I know that I'm still several weeks behind everybody else, but as I found out from you that I, that I had Showtime anytime and I could watch the t- <laughs> uh, Twin Peaks, um, so I, I turned it on and, I, and it was fairly late. And, you know, it, it, it's there's like a promo for other Showtime shows and then there's like the Showtime logo or whatever. And then it just fades into kind of this odd thing. And then the title came up and the music came up and I got to say, I got chills followed a little bit by, uh, I got a little misty eyed. Oh, that's nice. Strange as that may sound. Cause that show never made me misty eyed, Yeah, but it was just like, there's more of this and there's legitimately more of this. It's not like some other filmmaker came in to make more like this is David Lynch continuing this story and telling new stories within it. And, and it just kind of, and I think it also returned me back to where I was in my life when I first watched twin peaks. Mm. Um, and, uh, so, so there was that. And then, but then just going right into, you know, that kid in New York, just watching this glass box. Oh yeah. Um, That's awesome. And just, there are so many other elements that I, that I've really, really enjoyed and just, and it just is this, it's not horror, but it feels like it could be, um, tonally. And it just draws me in and I just can't wait to see what happens next, even though apparently according to some, nothing has happened yet, but it's like, that's not true at all. It's not true at all. You know, and I really have been, just enjoying it and just loving it. And it is, it is, uh, this might, this is a bit lofty and I feel guilty even saying it, but I mean, it is just as is often the case with David Lynch. Like it is just pure cinema, even though he didn't Mm -hmm. make it for theaters. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really loving it. Uh, the only thing I'm going to mention before we talk about Silicon Valley is, uh, the great British baking show, which is back Uh on, on PBS. Um, now people who are less, um, ethical and therefore less good than I am, uh, who are willing to steal the show and watch it have already seen this season. This is the final season of the old, um, the, the old deal, uh, with the old, um, uh, judges and hosts. This is the one that everyone fell in love with. Now going to be making a new season that's moving from, uh, from BBC to ITV. And I think only one, um, uh, only Paul Hollywood of who's one of the two hosts, uh, is staying. Mary Berry is the, the other host or no, the judges, sorry, Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry are the judges. Sue and Mel are the, I guess, presenters would be like the British term for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mary, Sue and Mel are all gone. Uh, and so everyone's very sad. So this is kind of bittersweet knowing like this is the last season of this, uh, configuration. Um, and it's just, just came back uh on friday and um i'm just i'm really gonna miss the the old show i hope i hope that the new producers stick to the um uh unrelentingly pleasant uh, yeah. <laughs> vibe of the great british baking show because that's one thing i've always liked about it is that unlike other 
reality competition shows, there's never a villain right. on the show. Um, and you really want everyone to do well. And yeah. it's, and, uh, there's just, there's just natural drama from the time clock running out and the difficulty of the challenges. And then when someone's, you know, gingerbread house falls apart, which happened uh, oh. to a couple people actually, uh, in the second, second episode, um, it's you're like, Oh no, like you, ha- I have as big a reaction as I did to like breaking bad or whatever. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I also like, I, I guess this is something else that has come up because of Brexit. Um, and the, um, uh, a lot of the, uh, and the recent attack, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the anti-Muslim sentiment in the UK mm. that, um, great British baking show has always been sort of unremarkably, multicultural like it hasn't yeah it never goes out of its way but you you, you know you, you just notice like there's always you know um uh, one or two uh muslim contestants and one or two black contestants and it no. I, I i that occurred to me more this time than it has in all the seasons i watched in the past because of what's you know what we've learned in the you know what's happened in the uk and no. over the past year uh anyway i'm well, glad to have it back well you know uh baked goods are going to bring us all together david do you enjoy uh that kind of food do you enjoy like uh, pastries and stuff um, i don't I think enjoy, of you as somebody that does i enjoy when our friend kate sends us christmas cookies sure sure well of course yeah um i don't go out of my way okay for baked goods and i don't really like to bake right because it feels um like work <laughs> i guess i was gonna say like a hassle yes uh, yeah but i like to cook i've grown to like to cook so maybe if i baked more i would grow to like it because i didn't used to like cooking either yeah but now i like cooking for myself um so maybe i would like baking uh, eventually but no i don't i used to say for a long time i don't have a sweet tooth right i don't have much of a sweet tooth and then my wife natalie has pointed out the many many ways in which that's not true and so i yeah. guess what i have is a very picky sweet tooth i like Something that Natalie doesn't like, sugary drinks. Right. I, ju- I just had a Mountain Dew Baja Blast before I came here. <laughs> I love Strawberry Fanta. Yeah. I love sugary drinks. I love Orange Crush. Sure. I love that stuff. Um, obviously, your classic Coca-Cola, you know, yeah. uh, especially the Mexican one with the real cane sugar. I love mm. that. Um, so I, I do have a sweet tooth when it comes to sugary drinks. I don't have much of a sweet tooth for uh other candies unless it has like a uh you know salty or more savory component you know i like yeah. uh i like a payday with your salty sure. peanuts um uh, i like an almond snickers because i like the big uh, you know it's very nut forward yeah the almond snickers that's what i like about it <laughs> um i don't like a three musketeers at all yeah i used Milky to when i, I was a like. kid i yeah. i because I want some level of like texture there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, the other day, uh, so my mother-in-law was in town and, and she was taking Jen and I out to eat and where we were going is a place that I happen to know has a very delicious, uh, bread pudding. And, um, which I'd only, which I only recently, uh, started liking, uh, which is to say, I think I'd only had it for the first time recently and liked it. And so as we were getting ready, I said, I said, oh man, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a bread pudding. Oh boy. So I said that. Uh And then Jen said, you know what? She's like, I think you have a sweet tooth. Now, when you're me and someone says that, then what I heard was, 
You're so fucking fat. <laughs> Stop being so fat. I'm ashamed to be married to you. Now, that's what I heard, and I reacted as though that is what I heard. Uh, that is not what she actually said, though. And so, uh, so yeah, it's odd that you bring up having a sweet tooth, because I yeah. think I do, but at the same time, I still like savory stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do I do enjoy like a we- just a really well-done dessert. Um, and that's... Uh, um is that your go-to like if you're at a nice restaurant you get a, a bread pudding is that your no i prefer i prefer something chocolate if they have it but um i enjoy like a good uh molten lava cake i enjoy that um at this one place uh in noho that you're very that you're very close to the uh the uh, the eclectic yeah we, um we we've have been there been- before our with our wives we went on a a little double date there oh i thought i knew we went to granville but i don't remember if we had gone to the eclectic um, um yeah okay. yeah we went to the eclectic um uh, uh well i yeah never, never mind i don't want much of a peek behind the curtain but it was okay. a thank you to you guys oh we, we took you to dinner at the eclectic oh I don't remember. I remember you being mostly an ungrateful person, so I don't remember that at all. <laughs> it's probably um, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, but they had a thing that was like a molten lava cake, except the the outer cake was kind of like it wasn't necessarily graham cracker based as far as okay. texture, but it kind of had so it had a s'mores quality to it, oh, and it was absolutely okay. delicious. And they they discontinued it shortly after that, which is unfortunate because it was great. Um, anyway, sorry. My, my go to restaurant dessert if they have it okay uh is a um a brownie a la mode oh sure i want that hot brownie with the crispy edges so i get the heat crispy edges and the and the texture yeah with some cold vanilla ice cream on it i get that contrast the heat and the cold yeah and the crunch of the uh of the crispy uh corners of the of the brownie that's that is heaven. Here's the downside with that is that if the brownie is too hot, now the ice cream is melting too quickly. Oh, you now eat I, it fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a challenge. That's part of the fun. <laughs> you're, you're such a dork sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's talk about Silicon Valley. Absolutely. Dorks. Yeah. Um, this was an incredible episode. Yeah, it was packed. Um, and it was as... I don't know if dark is the right word, but it was, it was like as heavy maybe as Silicon Valley has ever gotten with like the Jared stuff and with Jared stuff and, and with like just seeing how far Richard has, how much Richard has changed, how much of, how much of Gavin might be in him. Yeah. uh, Or, or, or anyone else. Uh, and then it also, it was another big, uh, uh, Tobo episode yeah. for us. And you got to yell at Hoover again. I'm starting to like that. <laughs> yeah. I liked the Gavin Hoover relationship. I'm starting to like the, yeah. the, the Jack Barker Hoover relationship too. And I do like that. Just, I like that. He has no, as pretentious as Gavin can be. Barker is not that like he knows exactly. He's like, Hey, look, I already threw $200 million at this thing. That's going to be essentially a 90 minute demo. Like he (laughs) knows like he's a pure businessman. Yeah. Um, and so I like that character quite a bit. Uh, but I got to say that Jared moment was really powerful Mm -hmm. because so Jen has started watching the show. And so I've been watching it with her, which means watching past episodes quickly. And you really see just how much abuse Jared can take from everybody and that he never wavers. But in this moment, I mean, think of how 
and he doesn't swear at him. Like in a show that swears, yeah. he doesn't swear at him. He says, you reckless child. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that is like, you wish that he, that he'd sworn at him, yeah. but like reckless child. And but then he gets all highfalutin too. And he says, what does he say? I want you to name our undoing. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which speaks to something that I do love about the show, especially now that I've been rewatching episodes is that, uh, Mike judge just has a wonderful way of having moments that are genuinely dramatic. And then he undercuts them. Not that the power goes away, but that he'll always bring a laugh in, Uh you know? And so, uh, so yeah, even that moment, he just doesn't want to dwell or linger too long on these you know, uh, these moments of pathos and that sort of thing. Uh, because it's just like, you got what you needed and this will definitely play a role as the show goes on. And like, and I feel like Jared is never going to be the same after this, which is sad, but also I'm in, I'm really excited to see where that character goes. Yeah. Especially since we know we're, you know, losing TJ Miller. Yeah. Um, I hope we're not losing Matt Ross for good. Uh, Yeah. Cause I like Gavin and I like, um, the, yeah, I, li- I like the way they've, I like the way they brought him back last week within the flashback. Yeah. I think we talked about not a yeah. flashback, but of the, the YouTube video or whatever. Yeah. Um, we talked about that already. Well, and the thing is like, if TJ Miller is gone and Matt Ross is gone, you lose a lot of pomposity. Is that, was that the word? Like, uh, pompousness. Yeah. And you lose characters who actually are, who have, the 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 courage of their conviction which is yeah you know uh, that's something you need to propel the action forward sometimes yeah. how many times have has uh, how many times in the show has it been the pied piper guys hemming and hawing and then tj miller just like does yeah. something stupid but also it moves things forward for them uh yeah. yeah that's true they they both have tremendous confidence and you know, I, I just, I just rewatched. I can't, I'm so glad I'm rewatching it with Jen because there are moments I forgot about completely. Uh-huh. I can't believe I forgot Ehrlich just slapping a kid across oh, the yeah. face and then throwing his bike over a hedge and with that and, and lead <laughs> and comes in with that wonderful line. You just brought piss to a shit fight. Yeah. I love oh, that. It's the best. I love it. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, I, it's, this is only episode, is this in episode nine? Yeah. I think the next one's a finale. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll oh, we'll talk we'll about have it to wait week. even longer. <laughs>